0: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Holler Back, episode five. Today, we have Miss Lara Helene, who I'm a, okay, Lara, clarify. On your Zoom, it says Lara Ballard, but on all of your social media that I follow, yeah. so Ballard is yeah. your last name. Okay, cool, because I, I thought it was yeah. Helene for the longest time, and then um, Dr. Engel was like, Lara Ballard, and I was like, yeah, yeah no. But
1: I like, I use Helene because it's prettier. And so, yeah, it, but it's, Helene is my middle name. And right. then Dollar is my last name. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Um, so, I'm going to call you Lara Helene because yes, I think it just flows and I love that. So, um, today we have this Lara Helene and we are going <laughs> to talk about how phenomenal of a woman she is. And um, she's... An activist in every sense of the word, truly epitomizes the word activism. Um, and we're just going to talk to her a little bit more about that and what she's doing for Appalachian youth. And so I'm Stacy, And I'm Michael. And welcome aboard. Um, so we can just hop right in. The listeners know me and Michael, so we don't need to introduce ourselves, but Lara, tell us a little Sorry. bit. I yeah, they do not want to hear us talk any more than we have to. Yeah. Um, Lara, tell us a little bit more about
2: yourself. Yeah. um, Hey, y'all. I'm Lara Lane. I'm 18.
1: um, And I am, I guess now I'm a graduate of Montgomery County High School. um, And I'm a singer, songwriter, and activist. um, And I'll be going to UK next year, Mm -hmm. um, majoring in gender and women and minoring in Appalachian Studies. Um, and then I'll probably end up adding a double major, but I'm undecided as to what that is right now.
0: Yeah, do uh, do political science so you can just be um, even more kick-ass, truly. You can just take names in the <laughs> classes. I know you could. Uh, me and Michael are also political science major, so we're kind of biased.
2: Yeah, it's like bundle to list.
1: Oh, cool! Awesome. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like anthropology or history, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure yet. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, and you've got plenty of time. Um, Lord knows, I was going around the block with my major, so changed it six times. And I, the worst part about it is I'm back at the first one that I originally had. So uh, really shot myself in the foot with that. One. <laughs> but what? Do you- oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Um. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. <laughs>
3: what are you now, Stacey? What? What are you now?
0: Oh, I'm political science.
3: Oh, I thought, cool, because, like, like, last week you thought you were changing it again.
0: Oh, I thought I was. And then I looked at my degree on it, and I was like, she doesn't oh. have time. <laughs>
3: she, she doesn't.
0: <laughs> Might as well just suck it up and go. Um, so that's what I'm doing currently. But, um, so, Lara, what do you want to do with gender and women's studies and your possible other major?
2: Um that's a great question.
1: Short answer, I have no idea. Um I feel like I have a lot of options. Like I want to keep playing music professionally. Um whether it's on a big scale or still just local. And then I'm also I I love nonprofits, but I also have a lot of complicated and mixed feelings about them because of how many friends I have working in that world. Um, so I, I think that that could be a thing. Um, I also am, I really, really love LGBTQ plus history. And so there are relations that I would like to work with in that realm. Um, and then I'm also interested in like education um, and creating curriculum to teach both LGBTQ history and Appalachian history and culture. Um, so yeah, something like that, but I'm not sure of specifics yet.
0: Yeah, and you've got plenty of time. Um, unlike Michael and I, we don't have plenty of time and we still don't know, so <laughs> we're good.
2: No still no clue, it's fine.
0: Not a war, <laughs> okay. it's, it's totally fine. The world is on fire anyway, so why not also be on fire right. in your career? Um, yeah, so, that, well that's really <laughs> awesome. Um, you just do so much work for the LGBTQ community. So Michael, do you wanna grab the next question?
3: Yeah, so enough about the future, let's jump back to reality, let's jump back to now. Um, (laughs) So, Lara, talk to us a little bit about how you came to become so passionate about Appalachia at such a young age. I think for me, and I mean, Stacey can speak for herself, she was more active um, before she came to UK, but for me, I didn't even realize that, like Appalachia was a thing, (laughs) you know, like Appalachian activism, Appalachian history, You know Appalachian culture was a thing until I wasn't surrounded by it and so I think it's really interesting that you have this incredible passion and drive to be active in Appalachian issues so can you just talk us through what that's like for you and how you kind of came to be so passionate about it?
2: Yeah um absolutely I
1: definitely grew up resenting being Appalachian Um, of course I never would have used that word because like you said I didn't know it was a thing Um, but I you know I really really struggled um, growing up gay in a town of like 7,000 people um, and being surrounded by people who were very very much cold. and so for a long time um, I really really wanted to move and until I was about about fourteen, I did musical theater, like very hardcore. Um, that was my life, and so I was like, "Screw this! I'm gonna be on Broadway and move to New York City and never look back." Um, and then my freshman year of high school, I did a musical called Carousel, and it was like the worst experience I've ever had. And I was just like, "Okay, like I I can't do this. This isn't what I want to do anymore." Um, and so I sort of had this like, you know existential crisis of like oh my god like what am i doing who am i what do i want to do with my life um and i ended up going to my local art center uh the gateway regional art center to an open mic that i played at a couple of times um and there's this guy there named josh nolan and he's a singer songwriter from stanton kentucky um and he His first record is called Fair City Lights and he has this song called East Kentucky Skyline and he played it that night. And it's essentially about like how beautiful it is to be from here and how, how difficult it is, but how it's so wonderful. And it's like it, that hearing that song and meeting Josh literally completely changed my perspective overnight. Um, And so I went home and I listened to his record for like four hours just on repeat and felt my story being told in every word, um, and I just worth loving and worth living in and worth memorializing through song. Um, um, so then I flattened Scruggs and Roscoe Holcomb and Olabelle Reed um, and like Tyler Childers and the local honeys, all these different current local artists. Um, and I just came to the conclusion that, like, this is not just a place worth leaving. It's a place worth fighting for, and that what I wanted to do with my life was write music. That was a part of that, Um, and then I started playing banjo about a month later when I saw the local Honeys for the first time. It was, like, a wonderful um, Lexington-based old-time band, and then I pretty much just haven't looked back, Um, so I guess that was almost four whole years ago, which is crazy and makes me feel really old. Um but yeah, I I just got completely obsessed with Appalachian music and then through
0: that Appalachia itself and our history. That's so awesome. Yeah. I, I feel that music is really a safe haven for a lot of people and you always hear people say like, oh it got me through this, this and this. And that's so true. Um by the way, I just need you to know that I listen to your song Roots. Um, repeatedly, like all the time, I cry to it. It's fine. I'm truly a fan. Um, I don't know, if my yeah, I don't know if Michael knows this, but the first time that I actually, oh, met Lara, so yeah, I'm like truly astonished that. So, the first time, Michael, that I met Lara, it was at 10x Corbin and she sang Roots, and I'm just like in. The audience, like, first of all, I'm crying. Uh, I'm literally, like, honest tears are coming to my face. Me and everyone that I'm sitting with, by the way, so it's not just me. Um, and then, so that was point number one where I was taking it back. But point number two, they were like, "She's 17," and I was like, "What?" Like, my mouth hit the floor. Um, so, yeah, I'm super glad that like music kind of brought you to have an appreciation for Appalachia, and then now you're producing music that also shows that appreciation because god knows that you're talented i as an understatement Um, thank you (laughs) so i really just like invited you here to just hype you up that's all this podcast is that might be the the title of it just uh lara Helene fan podcast um
3: (laughs) yeah i mean i think that's that's incredible like and i definitely can relate to that because You know, when I was younger, I was kind of in the same boat. I was like, I cannot wait to get out of here. Like, this place is terrible. And, you know, music was a huge part of me, like, kind of learning to appreciate it and its uniqueness. Um, You know, my aunt would take me to bluegrass festivals and we would, you know, listen to our friends' band. um, And I didn't realize what was happening, but, you know, in reflecting on that, like, I just fell in love with that culture and, you know, the music and bluegrass and folk music. But in reality, like that was me, you know, kind of warming up to Appalachian culture and realizing that there's like so much more to the area than, than what the media portrays or what popular culture says. It's like, and like, honestly, the, the local artist culture is just incredible and Mm -hmm. Kentucky in general, like Kentucky has a really, really Fun, like local music scene, and I say local, I mean like the entire state of Kentucky. So, you know, it's all
2: local, yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. But but, I
3: mean, like, people come from around the world to our bluegrass festivals and our music festivals because it's just this funky, you know, community of awesome people who come together to make music, and that's really when I started to start to love where where I was from, and so I'm glad that you had the same realization and. Keep making music because yeah. you rock.
0: Yeah. Um I've I've also let my singers yourself. So um I'm like Michael, you have to listen to this. Um, but also Michael's being humble because he's a good singer as well. He's a great singer. Um Ooh. So I'm the only one here that can't. Um but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Um <laughs> you know, I said at the beginning of the at the beginning of the episode that you were all about activism and so you know, we're friends on social media and stuff like that. So I see all the stuff that you're doing, but I want you to really, you know, talk about it here. Um, I know you're involved with the Sexy Sex Ed, um, so talk a little bit about that and just anything you're involved with. Really, uh, we want to hear about it, and we hope that it inspires our listeners because well, we know it will. So,
2: yeah. Um. So yeah. So I am an educator, a sex. Ed- Educator with Sexy
1: Sex Ed. Um, we are a nonprofit based out of Whitesburg, Kentucky. And I got started with Sexy Sex Ed when I think I was 16 um, at Girls Rock Camp in Whitesburg, and I was so clueless about literally everything. Um, if if people had met me like three years ago, I was this like literal catholic school girl who was like very innocent it was it was a time it was rough um (laughs) and then it was was this total shift because like in my childhood I was very much like radical and like loved everything weird and then I like went to catholic school so when I went to sexy sex ed for the first time it was at girls rock I was sort of coming out of that phase
2: Mm -hmm. and I had
1: so many questions um and I ended up getting very very passionate about sex education as a result of that because I realized how much information is being kept from young people about our own bodies um, and how that is actually violent toward women specifically toward people with uteruses but in general I mean it puts us at so much risk Um, our school systems are failing us our health systems are failing us and so you know sexy sex ed has sort of taken that into our own hands Um, we're popular education sex education workshop um and I did my first workshop I've helped facilitate my first workshop last summer and it was really through that that I kind of I I guess I had this epiphany of like wow people are actually taking me seriously and like people actually want to work with me Mm -hmm. um and that was really weird being like 16 and having that epiphany of like I am like getting paid to do things that like full adults want to do. And that was, that was really cool. Um, So Sexy Sex Ed was one of my first opportunities to really facilitate and do activism. Um, And then I'm also part of the Stay Project, which is the um, Stick Together, or Stay Together Appalachian Youth Project. Um, I went to the Stay Summer Institute last year and learned so much. Um, Also taught a Sexy Sex Ed workshop there, which was really cool. And I really think that that gave me the foundation that I needed to continue to not only grow and learn about activism, but to bring it back to my community where it feels like it is so isolated. Like there are very few or seem to be very few people here who are really invested in activism, who are aware of the problems facing our community and legitimately want to fight to change them so I came back to school um last August and I I had come out of the closet last like February started to um and then was like fully out by May and ever since then all of these little like gabies at my school would just randomly come up to me in the hallway and be like you know it means so much to me to see you just like walk around, like, holding a girl's hand or post it on social media, or they would, um, you know, slide into my DMs and be like, hey, I'm having this problem with my parents, I don't know how to deal with it, and it was to the point where I was getting, like, dozens of messages from my peers a day, and so I was like, okay, like, clearly there are a lot of LGBTQ people in this school, and there is no, like, real group for them at all, Mm -hmm. Um, so, I decided to start a gender sexuality alliance Um, and I'm really lucky. I had this wonderful teacher named Willie Carver, who is a French and English teacher um, and who's also openly gay. And he had actually tried to get me to start a GSA my sophomore year. Um, And I said no, because I was too scared. Um, And then senior year, I came to him and I was like, hey, you were right. Like, this is what I need to do um and he already had the infrastructure for it and the name and like so we went to administration got it approved um and then started the club in like mid august um and our first meeting had something like 30 kids which is crazy for my school um it's 1500 people and so that was like sort of a realization like okay this is actually going to matter like this is going to be important Um, so then I built a whole curriculum for the club, um, primarily like based on LGBTQ history and culture. Um, because I really believe that if we want to know where we're headed, we need to know where we're coming from. And so it was, it was a lot focused on teaching the kids our history. Um, and then I also am really passionate about popular education. So after sort of laying down the fundamentals um I turned it over to the group and then people were able to do skill shares um at our meetings or do presentations on different LGBTQ figures or issues that interested them which was really cool. Um and then I also tried to do some like sex education stuff but I couldn't do it in school so it all had to be on the DL. Um because I would have gotten murdered if our school knew that I was doing that um but yeah so the club is called Open Light um and I've trained a team of like six kids to take it over now that I've graduated um, and that's definitely what I'm the most sad about like graduating because of um, so yeah I'm involved in that and then I'm also um there's this podcast called Making Gay History and my friend Eric Marcus runs it Um, And that podcast is a large part of what really got me invested in activism and what really propelled me to start that group and to do all the things that I do. Um, So I've been really lucky to get to work with Eric on a couple of things. Um, We were, he like gave Time Magazine my number and they called me on my birthday last year and then did an article about me in Time Magazine, like, talking about making gay history, which was insane, Um, so that was, that was really cool, and um, so, yeah, a lot of different, like, LGBTQ stuff, and then right now, I'm uh, invested in a lot of mutual aid work. I'm working with a group called EKY Mutual Aid, and so far, we've raised about $10,000, and we are distributing it directly to East Kentuckians who have lost uh, money due to COVID, um, so, yeah, I'm invested in that, and I think that's about it. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of right now, but that's kind of, like, my, my primary foundation.
0: Michael, how do you of that? Let me know.
3: <laughs> that's all? That's all you do? Wow. <laughs> all
0: right, that's, that's it. <laughs>
3: um, no, that's incredible, and I commend you for all of your work. You've obviously changed the lives of several hundreds and thousands of people, even if you don't even know it. So you're you're awesome and the support oh, you wait. Great. I did say something. Go.
1: I did say something. Thank you so much. Um I'm also I work with an organization called Banned Conversion Therapy Kentucky. Um and I have been interning for them this session but I think I'm just going to continue it indefinitely because I really love it. Um, so I, I manage their social media pages and then also do a lot of representative outreach and organizing of events. So, yeah. So that's, um, the first real like government involved work that I've done and it's definitely taught me a lot.
0: So
3: just tack it on just one more yeah.
0: thing. Yeah. I, I don't know how I forgot that. I love it so much. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, you know, you're, doing all these things, and, you know, I'm just wondering, like, because I know that you said you have trained, like, six people to take over um, the club that you you have at your high school, but what about um, other things that you, that are not necessarily clubs, um, you know, like the Stay Project or um, Sexy Sex Ed or the Band Conversion Therapy work? How are you planning on, like, transitioning to UK with that workload in addition to your college workload
2: yeah um that's a great question we'll we'll see
1: how it goes Um, um i think that a lot of it will actually be easier to do in lexington like i know that my band conversion therapy work will be a lot easier in lexington because so much of what we do is in frankfurt and louisville um so i'll be closer which is nice um the stay project is very much like spread out, and so that makes it a lot easier. Um, a lot of our stuff is already online even before COVID. Um, so, and then we have like gatherings that I hopefully we'll be able to still attend. Um, and sexy sex ed wise, I'm hoping to continue to be. I've become known as um, the contraceptive fairy, um, <laughs> and so I am number one passing that duty on to. To a few kids at my high school to be passing out Plan B and condoms under the radar. Um, but I definitely want to keep doing that in college. Um, and I'm hoping to also get involved in some more harm reduction work in Lexington. Um, I'm sort of peripherally involved with it now, distributing Narcan and um, HIV tests and stuff like that. But I think that being in Lexington will actually allow me to do a lot more.
0: That's so awesome because that's one of the biggest things that, you know, I was worried about being from Hazard. You always hear how it's like a culture shock um, and you don't really um, understand the severity of that until you're sitting in a class with as many people as your entire high school had in it. Um, So. I'm really glad to hear that, you know, you're confident in that transition, because that's one of the main things that people um, worry about, so you know, you said a lot of things, you said a lot of things that you do, and I'm just so proud of you, but, you know, one thing that you said was your first meeting, you had, what was it, 30 kids um, that you, that showed up, and, and, you know, that's probably not even counting the kids who don't have the courage to show up yet, and that's totally fine, but I think that that's a really good segue into, like, our next question of, that several people seem to think that Appalachians are closed-minded or there really isn't an LGBTQ plus community in Appalachia. Um, But how has your experience as a member of that community been? Is that statement true? Um, Have you encountered a lot more people than you originally thought?
3: And since coming out, have you seen a difference in like how people react to you or how people treat you or even how people respond to your music. Cause I think that, you know, you obviously have been playing music in a lot of different circles and, you know, at, at different shows like that and at different festivals and different places, there's a, you know, a wide range of demographics of people there from, you know, different political affiliations and different, you know, beliefs and stuff. And so have you seen any difference in, you know, how you're received um, since you've come out?
2: Yeah. Um, so
1: I think that the idea that there is not an LGBTQ plus community in Appalachia is an outright lie. Um, I got radicalized in Whitesburg, Kentucky, which is the middle of nowhere to a lot of people. And my queer family, my Gantys and my Gunkles are all between like Whitesburg, Southwest Virginia and Heinemann. That is like, no man's land to most people in lexington so i think that it's it's absolutely untrue um and if i've learned one thing it's that people can surprise you um i live with my grandparents they're 64 and 66 um and when i came out when i first came out it was not pretty it wasn't great but now um my grandmother will, like, read the gay history books that I read after I'm done with them and will, like, fully watch, like, RuPaul's Drag Race with me and is very chill, is very supportive about it. Um, And so, like, seeing that change has been crazy to me I mean it's been phenomenal um and having that support in my family has definitely given me the courage to take that outside of just people that I already know um so I my teacher Mr. Carver who sponsored um our open light club he told me that you know if you're going to be openly gay in a small town you have to walk into every these people already love you and that they have. The best intentions at heart. Um, that advice changed my life. And I think that approaching every single situation as if your sexuality, your intersecting, you know, radical liberal identities aren't a factor, I, to me, that's been the key. Um, <clears throat> people really haven't treated me any differently since I've uh, come out. If anything, it's been really beautiful to see other musicians even um or people who are just like really present in the local scene um come out to me me uh that that's something that they've dealt with their whole lives and that no one else knows um so it's been a real privilege to be like a living safe space for other queer people um especially in the communities that i'm a part of but i I am incredibly grateful that so many people did that before me and paved the way for me. Um, so, yeah, I've, uh, short answer, I think that Appalachia is a lot more open-minded than people think. Um, I think that because our whole culture is so based in family and love, um, even when people come off as homophobic, you have to understand that they're doing that from a place of love. To them, that is their version of love. Um, and I think having that perspective has really helped me to be more patient with people um, and to, to be more open minded, really, because if we write off, you know, Southern people, poor people, Appalachian people as not worthy of being included in radical movements, then we are just as bad as the alt-right. Um, so all of that are things that inform my thinking and, and my movement work and my music every day.
0: That's awesome. Um, and I, I'm really glad to hear, hear that people were accepting because, you know, me and Michael have had many conversations about this. We're Appalachian Studies minors as well. And so, um, you know, we've kind of told people in our recitations and things about how, you know, if Appalachians seem close minded or something, it's not from a place of malice. It's more so from a place of not knowing or, you know, like you said, a place of love um, That they just want to protect you from any outside hurt. Um, so that definitely aligns with the Appalachian culture. Um, Michael, do you have any questions? Yeah.
3: No, I mean just ditto, ditto to all that. I mean, I think that we—it's—it's it's hard sometimes to, you know, talk to people about home because of the misconceptions that are portrayed in the media and pop culture, like everyone thinks that Appalachia is this backwoods, like alt-right, you know, safe haven. And it's like, I mean, do we have like people with radical like conservative ideas? Yeah. Do we have people with radical liberal ideas? Yeah. And it's like people automatically default to this, you know, uneducated, uncouth, you know, hate monster. But I think what you said is really incredible. And I've never really thought about it that way. In that like, people, especially from a familial sense, like when they, like, the way that they approach, like, the LGBTQ community is, is through a place of love, even though it looks like they're being homophobic or they're being, you know, <clears throat> unnecessary. It's, they feel that they have an obligation to 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 show you, you know, and a lot of it's from a religious sense, like people use their religion and, and they hold that, to, you know, close to their hearts. And a lot of people have, you know
2: yeah.
3: non-progressive ideas about religion in the LGBTQ community and so I'd never really thought about it in terms of love does it justify the hurt that it causes people no but like you said it's like if you can look at it through that lens it's it, it makes it a lot more bearable for folks who are you know having that shared experience and so I'm glad that you mentioned that here because I think sure. people
0: yeah and I feel like I'm very quick too. yeah and I, I no go ahead sorry <laughs> I was just going to say, I feel like um,
1: with older folks, like my grandparents, uh, part of why they were so upset when I came out was fear. They were so worried that, you know, me being a lesbian meant that I was just going to sleep around my whole life, never settle down and never be able to get a good job, that it was going to be career suicide, Um, which, you know, for their generation, that was a reality. And so for so many Appalachian people, because they haven't seen any social progress in that realm, I think that a lot of it is based out of fear for the queer person in their life. Um, and I think that that, you know, it's, it also comes from a place of love. Um, but I, I think that it's often a result of fear and then also just being um, uneducated and, and that's no one's fault except for the systems that are failing us. Um, When you take into consideration, you know, like income inequality and all of the ways that Appalachians are marginalized just because of the region that we're in and just because we are historically poor and uneducated, you really can't blame people for having outdated ideas because that's not their fault.
3: Yeah, and I think the work that you do and the work that all of our like activists do is changing that narrative and it's educating people and providing resources to folks so that you know, they can push past those antiquated ideas and start to broaden their horizons a little bit. And, you know, I'm just, I'm optimistic for, for folks right now, you know, who are growing up and and experiencing kind of this shift. Um, Because like you said, I mean, I would have never dreamed that there would have been a group of 30 people to show up to, you know, a gender and sexuality alliance club, you know, like that's, you just don't think about that. I mean, I'm only four years removed, but you know, I can tell a difference think, yeah. in you know, how people talk on social media and how they present ideas, and the way they react to things. It's like, it's not some radical liberalization, but it's just a modernization. It's, a, it's, it's progress. And so I think a lot of that's, you know, credit to folks like you who are putting in the groundwork to help educate people and just, you know, change the narrative and, you know, reframe things in a, in a more positive way. And so I think that's awesome. That you, all the things that you do is incredible.
2: Thanks. Hey. All right, Stacey, we
3: do I got the next one?
0: Yeah, sorry, I thought I was muted, but I wasn't. Um yeah, and I was just gonna say that I think that I'm very quick to to be the type of person who if you know, if I if I see someone from back home, an older person especially, you know, be hesitant um towards the LGBTQ community. I'm just like very like on it and like, why are you like why are you judging this person? Like love the sinner, hate the sin, that whole thing, you know, like, and I get it. I'm not bashing a person's religion whatsoever. I'm Christian myself, but it's like, I think that sometimes people can use that as a crutch to spread hate. And so I'm glad to hear that, you know, from your experience, like it comes from a place of love and a place of, you know, fear for your protection and your happiness. So, um, what would you say is probably the, your favorite, I don't want to say favorite group that you're involved in because then it's like choosing your favorite child, I think. Um, but I do want to ask, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, like, I just know that about you. Uh, but I do want to ask, like, what is your favorite, you know, piece of work that you've done, like a specific project or whether it's, you know, just meeting a specific person.
1: Um, it's 100% open light, my school, Gender Sexuality Alliance. Um, that group changed my life more than I could have ever imagined. Um, watching it grow from 30 kids to, by the end of the year, 60 kids and having these, these people who, you know, six months ago knew essentially nothing about the LGBTQ movement, having like in-depth and nuanced discussions about the AIDS crisis or like the movement pre-Stonewall, it has been the most gratifying experience of my life. Um, And also to walk with literally dozens of these kids through coming out to their families, um, to be able to offer a place to stay if things go wrong to be able to offer support in any way possible. Um, I always, like, I went on this big, we have, a, we have a group chat for the group, and when I found out that, like, we weren't going back to school, I went on this big sappy rant, and just, I mean, I was just crying. I was just talking about, you know, I started this group because I wanted to create a safe space for other people like me, for other queer kids who don't feel safe enough in their homes, don't feel safe enough in their uh, friend groups, groups or community to be themselves I wanted to give them a place where once a week for an hour they could just be and they didn't have to worry about anything they knew that they were safe and they knew that they were going to be accepted um and I, I did manage to do that but more than anything I got a family and I got you know a home in those kids and something that no matter how terrible my day was at school, I would see one of them in the hallway and it would be like, everything is okay. Um, no matter how much I was questioning, you know, am I even worth going to college? Do I even like deserve to be invested in in this way? One of those kids would come up to me and tell me, you know, how much that I had changed their life, how much open night meant to them, or, you know, oh, I've been learning about this thing because you brought it up in the club. And it was just like, it is the best thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, it, it tops recording my first record. It tops like any award that I could ever win, um, just to be a part of those kids' lives in that way. Uh, today, I actually, I got to see one of my little babies. Um, I loaned him one of my computers, my school computer for, uh, to do work. And he like made me this painting of the Appalachian
2: mountains. And I was just like, oh my God, like my heart. Um, so yeah, that, That was a really long
1: answer, but it's definitely open line. I love those kids so much, and I'm so excited to see what they make of that club once I'm gone.
0: Yeah, and I can just tell, you know, you've probably been such an instrumental part of their development, and, um, you know, having one hour a week just where they can be themselves, that probably improved their mental health, Um, and you know, your mental health too, because you, yeah, Yeah. so, um, that's just amazing and highly commend you for, you know, inspiring kids and being there, offering them a place to stay. Um, I just think that's tremendous. And I know that you have touched those kids in ways that other people haven't. Um, so we know that you're coming to UK in the fall with a minor in app studies, we're so excited. I'm going to be annoying. I want you to know that. Like, I'm going to be a senior. But Amazing. Lara, Lara, I'm so like excited <laughs> for you to be at the App Center because <laughs> I'm a student worker there. So I'm there a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But what are you most excited for? Um, and it doesn't have to be anything pertaining to Appalachia, but, um, you know, just what are you most excited for coming to UK?
2: Yeah. Um, Oh my God, everything. Um, At the beginning of this year, well, okay, at the beginning
1: of this year, I thought that I wasn't going to go to college uh, because I was being angsty and I had spent the summer wandering through the mountains and I was like, yep, this is it. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to like, maybe. Um, And then I, so I was taking classes at Moorhead this year and I was originally going to major in um Appalachian music at Moorhead uh with a focus on old time banjo that didn't work out for several different reasons but more than anything I was just just like I don't like Moorhead like the town itself it's too small um so I I had a a lot of good experiences there but by like September I was kind of like no this is not going to work for four years um so then right as I was about to just give up on college. The fates would have it that I ended up meeting Jim Gray, who is the former
2: mayor of Lexington and now uh, Secretary of Transportation. Uh And I've looked up to him since I was six and being like,
1: oh, my God, like there's a gay that's the mayor of Lexington. Like, that's incredible. So,
2: I mean, he's been my hero for my whole life. So I was playing a show in Frankfurt at a restaurant. Or not, and he walked in so I went over and started talking to him and he, it turns
1: out he was with like these six different people who all work for UK um, so like Lance Poston who's the head of the um LGBTQ uh, resource center um Greg Robinson who works for the honors college like all these different people and they were all like so what are you doing for college and I was like well like I don't know and Jim was like, you're gonna go to UK. I was like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know that I'm good enough for that. I don't know if that's the move. He was like, no, no, like, just trust me. He And they gave me his number. And for like a month, he was like, I'm gonna set you up like a tour. Will you please go on it? And I was like, I don't know. And then Greg Robinson from the Honors College finally was just like, okay, you're doing this. I was like, all right. So I went on this tour. And I found out that gender and women's studies was a thing that you could do in college. I had no idea. And I was like, I can study like feminism and just gay things for four years. Like what? That's insane. Um, and then I learned about the Appalachian center and I was like, okay, this is happening. Um, so I ended up applying getting in and I'm also part of the Lewis honors college, which I'm really excited about. Um, And Jim has been so incredibly supportive, um, along with this whole group of people from UK who have just like taken me under their wing, um, like including Dr. Engel from the App Center. Uh, But there's just like there's so many people that are already invested in my college education before I've even started, um, which is crazy. And I feel so honored and grateful for that. Um, So I'd say that's something that I am most excited for is just to be around all of these people who have been so kind to me and who are very like-minded um, and share the same values and like want to see me succeed um, so i'm really pumped about that and i'm really pumped to take queer studies courses um, i sat in on a few and i was just like yes this is everything that i study for fun Um, And I feel the same way about Appalachian studies. I've also sat in on some of those classes. So I'm excited for all of that. I'm excited to um, just meet people, you know, be in a school of 30,000 people. That's really exciting to me. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about everything. I just really hope that we get to start on time.
0: Yeah. Um, Miss Rona is the only one that could stand in the way of
1: the (laughs) the worst. But I'm hopeful so yeah I cannot wait to get to UK
0: yeah well Capoludo sent out um an email and I'm sure it's right. not on the uh Instagram or you know all of our social medias but we're planning on it so yeah. hopefully yeah, a, you know, a lot of people you know anticipate coming to UK and they're like okay well especially coming from a small town I know that I did anyways it was kind of like a okay, I'm used to being a big fish in a little pond, and now it's kind of, I'm a little fish in a big pond, and um, so it was kind of hard for me to cope, Um, so I'm really glad to hear that, like, you are coming here with all of these aspirations, because I had, I mean, I'm a Robinson scholar, so I had a cohort of people, um, but I didn't have, direction as to what extracurriculars and things like that to be involved in and I mean I wish that I could have found the Appalachian Center um in my first year but you know life is funny so um but really looking forward to having you here um and you know this kind of segues into our last not really question but statement you know first we want to thank you for having such a short turnaround and talking with us. I messaged you literally yesterday. I was like, hey, do you want to do this? And you were like, yeah, sure. Um, So thank you for having that short turnaround. But um, also we want to give you time to kind of highlight any special projects besides, I mean, you can plug the 1 million that you're already doing, ma'am. But you know, any albums, your music, it's phenomenal. um, As I've said 100 times before. So yeah, just talk about um, any anything you got going on. Truly. Really.
2: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you all so much for having me. This has been super fun. Um, I am in the
1: middle of working on a record. It was supposed to be out in mid June, but Miss Rona had other plans, so uh, I don't know when that'll be releasing. But it's called Good Riddance, um, and it's sort of
2: like an ode to my childhood and my adolescence. Um, And with Josh Nolan on it,
1: who is my favorite musician and biggest hero, um, and he's producing it. And then Kenny Miles, who's in the band uh, Wayne Graham, um, is also engineering it. So I got to record it um, in May King, Kentucky, right outside of Wattsburg which was incredible. Um, so I'm very, very pumped about that. Um, also, very pumped about the work that I'm doing with EKY Mutual Aid. Um, so far, we've been able to send funding directly to 50 East Kentuckians that have requested aid. Um, we've got about 50 more on a waiting list So we're trying to raise around $18,000. Um, so yeah. I'm excited about that and hopeful about reaching our, our fundraising goals. Um, what else? Oh, bank conversion therapy, Kentucky. We have, uh, uh, two informational hearings this summer, uh, trying to get legislation passed to, um, protect Kentucky LGBTQ youth from conversion therapy. Um, so I'm super excited about that. And, um, that's all I can think of. I feel like everything is very
2: uncertain right now because of Corona. Uh, sorry. Our- really don't know what's to come, but I'm hopeful that yeah absolutely. Um, you kind of cut out
0: there on that last part. You're hopeful that what now?
2: I think my internet is unstable. Um, <laughs> East Kentucky,
0: <laughs> well, um, no, even here in Lexington, don't get your hopes up about that. Really? Lexington internet. Oh, Right. Um,
2: yeah, I was just. I'm.
1: I'm hopeful that once this Corona stuff ends, that there'll be a lot of fun stuff ahead. Um, but it's all definitely up in the air right now.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know, if there's one good thing to come out of this, I try to look for the silver linings. At least, um, you know, it's that I think that people will be a lot more appreciative of one another, and that contact, and you know, hopefully the world would just be a little bit nicer and more grateful for what we do have. Cause it's easy to for take, sure. you know, going to the grocery store without a mask for granted. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I, you have any more questions?
3: No, I just want to say, you know, UK means a ton to me. Like I have poured my entire heart into this place and it warms that heart to know that somebody as passionate as you uh, is coming in to, to, make this place better and it always makes me happy when people from eastern kentucky kind of find their way to uk because a lot of folks like you said either feel like they aren't good enough or feel like they can't you know do it or it won't you know pan out for them and so you know i I kind of lucked into a situation similar to yours and that i met some really awesome people who like for whatever reason just decided to make it happen for me um even though money was tight and it was just like everything fell into place, kind of like what you were saying. And so it just kind of brought me back to what brought me to UK and, and it's just incredible. And I I can't wait to see where you're at in four years.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm so excited. Like I've never been more excited for anything in my life. Um, And I've never been more like proud to be a part of something. Um, So I'm so, so
0: excited to be a wildcat oh uh, go cats okay now that you two have me emotional um I'm gonna go okay. eat comfort food um uh, no but uh I'm just so thankful for for both of you honestly and just knowing how much you love this university and how much you love Appalachia it, it makes me feel not so alone you know so um yeah, yeah. thank you Lara for being here you're awesome keep doing the the work that you do fighting the good fight. And this is all for right. episode five. Of holler back. And in the meantime, I'm Stacy. And I'm Michael. And we'll, and we'll holler
3: at you later.
0: <laughs> That's really hard to do over We got to
3: yeah,
2: It's not great.